Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. This morning we are starting a brand new series in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's called 1 Corinthians because it was Uh, The first letter of Paul to the Corinthians included in the biblical canon and the canon of Scripture. It's not Paul's first letter to uh, this church in Corinth. In fact, this is probably about his fourth letter. And they are writing to each other back and forth. and, uh, And Paul is talking to them about some really important things. And it's important things that are still important for us in our world, the world that we're living in right now. I'm, I'm sure many of you will agree that the world in many ways feels like it's gone mad. But if we look at history, if we look at the waves of history all the way back into antiquity, we can agree that the world has always been mad because it's run by broken people. We have such strong desires in us, such strong temptations, things that that lead us astray and, and, and brokenness within our own lives, sinfulness in our own lives, that when you just put millions of people that are all broken together the systems are inherently going to be broken. And this is something we've tried to overcome as a human race for how long now? We've always, you know, if we can come up with a better system of government, if we can come up with better education, if we can develop better in terms of our ethical standards or our judicial systems or our, you know, the way we reform people or the way that we help people, like we've always tried to help ourselves as a human race. And, and there's a lot of great things in that. We should be aware of those kinds of things. But it does also move over into a new realm, which is the realm of uh, where you go from humanitarianism to humanism, which is more of a religion where we say that we are our own saviors. All we, there is no God. All we have is us, and we are going to fix it. Don't worry. We're going to fix it, and we're all going to be friends, and we're all going to love each other. We're all going to be kind. We're all going to be good. We're all going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Life is going to be amazing. And then we look around at the world and we're like, mm, actually not. And we build these economies and we build these systems and we build these structures and we think we've got it, we've got it together. And then all it takes is a microorganism coming out of the far east um, that infects the world and all of a sudden economies crash and governments are toppled and you know there's hatred online and, and there's a, a mob that develops and, and people are crying out for blood. And we, thought, and we think to ourselves, we're shocked by it. We think to ourselves... I thought we would have been beyond this by now. I thought we were better than this. And it seems like every generation is shocked by its own brokenness. We always think that we're better than the previous generations. When World War I and World War II happened, the world was shocked at that time because they thought we, we've developed and grown and learned so much. Surely we were beyond the kind of barbaric wars of yesteryear. And turns out we're not. It turns out every new generation has to grapple with its own brokenness. And so leading into 2021, if you've been following the news, if you've been just online even, if you've just taken a trip to your closest comment section and see how vile and full of hatred and full of, uh, you know, it's just incredible to see what humanity really looks like when left to itself. And as Christians, we're called to bring a testimony of God's grace, a testimony of something better of something greater, of something bigger, a testimony of lives that live according to a different kingdom. So 
our title for this series in the book of uh, Corinthians, First Corinthians, is On Mission in a Mad World. How do we reach a world that at this point is pretty much ruling out Christianity in many parts of the world, not all parts, but in many parts of the world as even a viable way to approach life? Um, even just from the pure moral points uh, of Scripture, not even going into what the Bible is actually really all about. And so how do, we, as, how do we stand out as God's people living on mission in times such as these? That's pretty much what we're going to be talking about. And what's amazing about this letter that Paul writes uh, to the Corinthians is that he covers topics like what does marriage look like in this? Uh, what, is, what does sexual purity look like in this? What does your relationship with money look like in this? What does it look like to be gifted by God? What does it look like to operate in love? What does it look like to have unity as a church? In other words, how can we be the church in a mad world? How can we be on mission and fulfill the call of God on our lives as a church and as people, um, even though it seems like at this point we're all just fighting to stay with our heads above the water. And so the message that I want to start the series with today and talk to you about is called Church in the Wild. Um, you, you might know the, the famous song that says, there is no church in the wild. Well, we want to be that church in the wild, and, and we want to be in this kind of a wild city that we're living in, other cities in the world, just, the, you know, it's, it's almost like a global city at this point. But Corinth was a wild city like the city that we live in, like many of the cities in the world, the major cities. Um, a little bit of background to help you picture this, and I might throw up some images on here for you to be able to see um, just what it looked like. But Corinth was kind of uniquely positioned on an isthmus that was, and an isthmus is just a fancy word for like a land bridge or a narrow portion of land that connected Greece with the Peloponnese. And so you've got um, the, the Greek mainland, this tiny uh, land bridge or isthmus, and the Peloponnese area be below that. And, um, and, and, and so Corinth is kind of situated on that land bridge and has two ports. So it's a, you, you know, it's into the Mediterranean Sea. So you've got a port on this side and a port on this side. And so um, ships would actually prefer, it was more economical for them to drop off goods at one port and have it ferried across the land and picked up at, by another ship on the other side than it was to sail all the way around the Peloponnese and pick it up or, or take it on from there. And so if you actually look at modern-day pictures of that area of Corinth, the modern-day city, it's got a canal that's now been built. They just said, hey, let's just cut the land away here and the ships can go right through um, because it just works out to save a lot of time and money. So... So it's in this place where it has two really important ports. This is how Rome uh, brought goods from the east to uh, the Roman Empire and to Rome itself. And so they needed that area. It was really important to them. And its golden era, the golden era of Rome, was around 400 BC, where it had just under 100,000 people living in that city at that time. Really important city and played a really important role in Greek culture and, uh, and Hellenism at that time. So that's where it, Corinth is situated. In 146 BC, uh, the Romans invade and they raise the city to the ground. So they destroy everything and the city is in, in essence pretty much just desolate and everything that was there before has been, has been uh, uh, eradicated and removed. And about 100 years later, in 44 BC, Julius Caesar 
rebuilds the city. So now he rebuilds the city of Corinth, and he's going to populate it, and he's got some people that he wants to send there. You know, the Roman Empire needed to move people around as it was growing. And so it sent what was known as freemen to that city. And freemen were a class just above the slaves. They might have had some basic trade skills, uh, not part of any um, you know, aristocracy, not part of any hierarchy, just general tradesmen and general uh, people that could only really uh, make a living by what they do. And he sends all these freemen out, as well as some war veterans, some of the retired soldiers, etc. He sends them into this city. But what happens is because there's no ruling class in the city before these people arrive, before um, Julius Caesar rebuilds the city, it's now become like the Wild West because this is new land. It's like, like it was in any of those pioneering situations. This is brand new land. There's, there's nobody to tell us we can't. And whoever can make the most money wins. Whoever can indulge the most wins. Whoever can can, um, you know, be at the top of the pile, who can get the businesses started and get things going. And because of that, people flock to Corinth um, trying to, you know, in, in seeking their fortunes. And so people are coming from all over the world. And obviously with all of these people, within uh, a few years, there was a population of half a million people living on this little land bridge uh, in the city of Corinth. And they have brought with them every kind of religious idea, every kind of philosophy, every kind of culture, every kind of, uh, you know, just worldview is now all kind of mixed in. So it's not just like one kind of general culture that's pervasive living in the world. This is a complete cosmopolitan of people that are, have got all kinds of ideas that have been brought into the city, many different beliefs, religions, uh, and groups, and we know that there was uh, a strong presence of Jewish people there as well. And along with all of these different people that arrived, also came many different vices. As you can imagine, in a big city, just like we have in Joburg, just like we have in other big cities in the world, there's prostitution, there's violence, there's crime, there's theft, there's corruption, there's murder. Um, all of these things are rampant, and generally, Corinth had this culture that, was, that had a strong Greek influence still, but was a culture of indulgence. Whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good, whatever you can do to get ahead. And that really is the model for the modern-day city. Many cities across the world would easily be described in exactly the same way that the city of Corinth was described. And so Paul is on a missionary journey. And he is sharing the gospel with people as he goes. And Paul's custom was, when he arrives in a new city, he wants to preach the gospel. And the first people he preaches to is he normally goes to a synagogue and he preaches Jesus. That the Messiah that, that, the, that the Old Testament speaks about, that was prophesied, has arrived. His name is Jesus. I met him and this is how you can know him. And so Paul arrives in Corinth. He finds the closest synagogue and he starts preaching the gospel. The message of people being saved by the grace of God. And as he's preaching this, uh, he becomes rejected, he's reviled, he's kicked out, um, and he's mistreated. And at a point, he actually fears for his life. This is such a wild place. This is kind of like Paul thinking to himself, I think I've bitten off more than I can chew in this city. And Paul really just wants to leave. He's like, you Corinthians can just have it your own way. I'm off to the next spot. 
And, um, and in Acts 18, it tells us that without Paul actually realizing it, some of his preaching had already started to lead people to Jesus. You know, he tried for a time. Um, it wasn't working. He was getting a lot of flack. And he thought to himself, this is useless. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you've sh maybe shared the gospel with a few people and you thought to yourself, this isn't working. Nobody's listening to this message about Jesus. I think it's just safer for me and, and you know, more practical for me to just kind of, you know how people say you preach, the, it's, it's the quote obviously from Augustine, but, you know, preach the gospel um, and if necessary, use words. And a lot of people go like, you know what, I'm not going to use words. I'll just preach it with my living, but nobody ever gets saved that way. And so, you know, many of us have, have been disillusioned in that same way. Why would I share my faith? I'm sure this person won't receive it. But God actually speaks to Paul in Acts 18. This is referring to one of those missionary journeys in Acts 18, verse 10. And we see how God, what God's heart is. You'd think that even God would want to just, you know, wipe the city away. You know, these people are sinful. They're doing evil things. Even within the church, there's some bad things happening that we'll look at. Um, and you'd think God would just want to wipe them away. But in Acts 18.10, it says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And I just wanted to reiterate that part, that if we are going to be on mission in a mad world, we have to say something. We can't just live as Christians alone. We also need to preach the gospel because it's through the hearing that faith comes. Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, so they, he, God says to, to, to Paul, I want you to keep speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. God, you know, cooperates with us. We cooperate with him as we preach the gospel. He is our ally speaking to the heart of the person that we are speaking. Mere human words to, but in, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it has the ability to change hearts and lives. So he says, go on speaking for I'm with you and no one will attack you to harm you. See, this is what, what he was afraid of. For I have many in this city who are my people. At that point, people, people's hearts already started turning to Jesus. And so it says he stayed in verse 11, he stayed a year and six months, 18 months, teaching the word of God among them. And so uh, Paul ends up staying in the city of Corinth for 18 months. And um, they, they had in the city of Corinth, they had like an Olympian games that would take place and, and, and intercontinental games at that time um, that actually became a biennial games called the Isthmus games. Um, so it happened every second year. And people would flock, like touristy people, people coming to watch the games, coming to compete in the games. And so Paul, not wanting to be a burden on the church in that city, not wanting to give the idea that he was preaching for personal gain, and he covers that in one of the chapters later on, he actually uh, decides that he will make tents and sell those tents to people coming to watch the games in order to sustain himself in the city. So for 18 months, he becomes a tent maker, lives in the city of Corinth, and does the work of preaching the gospel, which also tells us that what you do in order to earn your salary at the end of the month is not, does not necessarily uh, uh, make up your calling. It's not necessarily all of your calling. It doesn't encapsulate all of it or encompass all of it. You can do something to earn money, to survive on, 
and at the same time fulfill your calling. And that's what we do together as a church. We want to give you that opportunity as Anchor Church for those that are part of this church that you can, yes, you might be a, veterinar- a veterinarian or a restauranteur or an entrepreneur or you know, a doctor or whatever else. And that's how you earn a living. But what we get to give through our community, what we get to do in the city is how we make a life. It's how we make a difference. It's how we answer the call of God. So Paul does that. And, um, and so in the process, Paul's, Paul's method of, of evangelism was church planting. He would go into a city, preach the gospel, form a church, and move on to the next city. That's how he evangelized. And so he establishes the church in Corinth, the Corinthian church. And he then travels on to the next city as he was doing going through Asia Minor. And over time, this church that he left behind, behind began to experience some issues, like any group of people left to themselves would necessarily do, even not left to themselves, even when they have strong guidance. Every church has issues because it has people, and people um, produce those issues. It's what we naturally do. Mainly, though, what was happening in Corinth is that they're being influenced by the licentiousness of the city. They're actually, the culture of the city and the morals of the city and the values of the city are becoming their values. This is You might look at them and go, oh, you know, those people in Corinth, how could they even let that? But how often does it happen that even in the small things, by the movies that we watch, the series that we watch, the the things that we we hear, the culture of our city, how, how often do those things actually begin to infiltrate our way of thinking and living? I would say all of us are under the influence of the culture of our city in one way or another. Um, and some of those are harmless ways, like, you know, the ways that we, for example, express ourselves, etc. But then there are many things that are destructive. And if we don't allow God's word to guide us on those things, then two things will happen. Number one, it'll destroy us personally. It'll harm us. But number two, it'll affect our testimony. It'll affect the way that we're able to share the message of a Jesus that, that causes us to live differently. And so this is really what, what is happening here. Um, And so in the church of Corinth, all kinds of sin and pride and divisions start entering the church. And so Paul refers earlier on um, to an earlier letter that he was writing. They were writing back and forth. He's heard a few things from his leaders in that city. um, and, um, and, And he kind of has an idea of what's happening and what's being said in the church in Corinth. They, amongst others, started questioning Paul's authority. Who is this Paul? You guys always talk about Paul, Paul this, Paul that, Paul came here, Paul started the church, Paul's this guy who preaches the gospel. We don't even know Paul, we don't see Paul, we've got, you know, we've got other teachers here that will lead us in the way, and we can decide for ourselves. And, um, and, and we also want to adopt some of the ideas of Greek culture, Hellenism, which came in. And you know, their emphasis was really on Sophia, you know, a special kind of wisdom and knowledge that allows you to you know, it's where, it's where Gnosticism comes from, this idea that we ascend spiritual levels as we grow in special revelation. And, um, and there's all these levels and wisdom, and, and they adopt that, and they begin to bring it into the faith, and they actually become so prideful that they begin seeing themselves as angels. Like, we're already arrived. Who's Paul to tell us how to live our lives, you know? Um, we, we, we are spiritual, spiritually mature and spiritually arrived already. We're like the angels some of them even began to question whether or not there's life after death or whether or not we're angels in this time now already. And so um, this was what Paul now 
in this letter begins to address. So what I love about um, this letter is that because Paul is acting as an apostle, acting as, as one whom God called, acting as a leader, acting as a parent in many ways, you know, he speaks straight. He's blunt. This is a, this is a, this book, um, you know, it cuts right down to the core of the issue very, very quickly. In, in um, other terms, you could say Paul lays the smack down on the church in Corinth, but not in the way that you would expect. And that's really what the focus of my message is today. Um, and so he's going to set a few things straight, and he's going to teach them what it means to live for Jesus in a city like Corinth. He's going to teach them what it means to be on mission in a mad world. So 1 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 1 to 9, I'm just going to read this to you. This is Paul writing here. He says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, which is we know that uh, Paul often used scribes and other guys to help him write his books uh, or his letters. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, what's interesting here, and this has always caught me, Paul knows some of the stuff that this church is doing wrong, some of the, 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 the things that have been reported. At one point he says that when it comes to sexual immorality, that, that a man has his, his father's wife, um, his, his mother-in-law, um, sexually. There's some serious stuff going on in this church. But how is Paul addressing it? How does he start by addressing it? Well, he starts by thanking God for all the things that they are, even though they're not acting according to who they are in Christ. You know, he's reaffirming their identity. He's thanking God for their giftedness, their enriched speech and knowledge, um, changed lives for the fact that God's grace is sustaining them until the end, um, and for the fact that it's all about Jesus and not them. You see, this is what where, where Paul, how Paul corrects. He corrects by pointing people to Jesus, not pointing at people. And, um, and so he's really saying the opposite of what's happening here, showing the revelation of the gospel that Paul had. He declares the truth of who they are spiritually, not how they're currently living physically. And, and I do this with my boys. Like I, I'm a parent and I address behavior that is not in line with the values that we have as a family that we believe are the values of Scripture um, and, and, and things that are not right. And so, and so I'll talk to my boys. But if my son does something like, let's say, for example, he says, one of my boys says a bad word. I don't say to him, you have said a bad word, you are bad, you are naughty. Because if I'm saying that, what I'm really saying is, you are bad, but I want you to, even though you're bad, not do bad things. And so I'm, in trying to correct the behavior, I'm actually reinforcing it because I'm creating the identity 
that you are bad or that you are naughty if I did that. And people act according to who they are, not according to what they intend to do. We've all got good intentions. Few of us could ever stick to our intentions. Why? Because we ultimately will do according to what we are, who we are. And so Paul actually approaches this differently. What I say to my boys instead is I say, don't say a word like that. That's a bad word. And it's not who we are. You are a good boy. We don't speak that way. That's not who we are. And so I'm reaffirming an, reaffirming an identity that says, we don't, this is, this is who we are. This is the good that we are. And so we don't want to partake in that. And that's just a different way of approaching it. And that's what Paul is doing here. He starts off by saying that grace, which is the gospel, the message that God has saved us by what Jesus did on the cross, uh, is the reason for it all. It's the reason why any of us can even begin to live a different kind of life. And it's so important that we establish this in the beginning of the book of, of or the letter to the Corinthians, because, because as we move forward, we could be tempted into into thinking that it's just about trying to follow morals and follow kind of established principles for what's right and wrong. That's not where it starts. It starts with, because Jesus has saved us, we are a different people, therefore we live differently. And that's what we get to do now. We live differently, therefore now we can act differently. Or we, we've been made different by Jesus. We've been said, therefore we can live differently. And so he starts by saying, you have the grace of God. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That's what he says in verse 4. I give thanks to my God because of the grace of God that was given you in Jesus. I'm thanking God that he saved you, that he gave you grace, that he has rescued you. And so in the same way, in this city, of Johannesburg, as we want to move forward, we've got to realize, first and foremost, we've been saved by the grace of God. I want to look at, just as I, as I come to the end of this message, I want to look at just three things that the grace of God does in our lives and that enables us to live differently in a mad world. The first one is that it enriches us. These are some concrete things. It enriches us. Number one, verse five, as we just read, says, in every way you were enriched in Jesus. So when Jesus comes into your life, he brings a richness. There's a, there's a change. There's a wealth of, of wisdom and spiritual renewal that comes into your life. This is Jesus himself. This is his grace. It empowers. It changes. It transforms. It delivers. It, it, it's active. It's powerful. It's, you know, and, and this is what, what Paul says. He says that we're not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to those who are being saved. So, so there's an enriching that happens. And he says that this enriching um, that took place in this church. There's an evidence of it, and it took place in two ways. They were enriched in their speech, which is just how, you know, what, what is in your heart comes out of your mouth. The Bible tells us that. So, so when you're enriched by the Spirit of Christ, the way we talk is different. The way we express ourselves is different. Um, the way we speak is different. But also, he's referring to the gift of tongues. Not, not just the gift of tongues, but the ability to pray in that prayer language, um, that, that um, is so powerful. And we know this because later on, uh, as Paul gets to, to uh, his subsequent chapters in his first letter, he actually talks about 
the gift of tongues and praying in tongues. And we'll get to that later. So the gifts of the Spirit and how we operate in them, how we're able to make a difference in the city. You see, you're not going to do it in your own strength. We're not just going to come up with a clever strategy, go out into a city like Joburg and change the city. No, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, operating in the gifts of the Spirit and functioning in that heavenly prayer language that God has given us. So he says, you were enriched in your speech as you received Jesus, um, and you are active in these gifts. Um, And Paul reminds them that all of these gifts and everything that we've received spiritually from Jesus um, comes by his grace. It's not a, a, a medal of honor. It's not a trophy. It's not something we earn. It comes by his grace alone. Um, God reveals things to us and empowers us through the gifts. And we're never to think that these are due to our efforts, because as I just mentioned, they are by grace alone. And, and we see this over and over. We see it in Galatians. We see even Peter and John when they prayed for the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. He says, not by our godliness or power has this man been, ma- been made well. The problem is when immature Christians receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes it makes them prideful. Um, and that's, that's something we have to navigate. The gifts are not there to shine a light on us. They're there to shine a light on Jesus. And without Jesus, all we have is spiritual poverty. And so you've been enriched in your speech and also in your knowledge. And that's because in Jesus is all the wealth of wisdom and knowledge. You only begin to really know this world, only begin to really know what is true, what is right, what is, what is genuinely considered as knowledge and as wisdom when you know Jesus, because it all is held together in Him. And so once you know Jesus, the puzzle pieces begin to fit into place. You begin to see things with new eyes, and so you've been enriched in your knowledge. So number one, the first thing that it does is it enriches us. Number two, it equips us, right? So it enriches us, and then it equips equips us. In verse seven, he says, not that you are lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Jesus has given you everything that you need as we wait until Jesus returns, as we are the church, as we live on mission in this mad world, guess what we get to do? We've got everything that we need. By His grace, His grace has equipped us to fulfill our calling. So we all have been gifted by God. The Bible talks about God's grace in its various forms. I've got certain gifts that I don't have because I'm good. I have because God has given them to me by His grace because He intended for me to use them in some way. I have the personality that I have because that's the way that God made me. And my personality gifts and my spiritual gifts combine to produce the person that I am And then by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to make a difference in my world. And the exact same is true for you. You have God's grace and the grace on your life looks different to the grace on my life because I can't do what you do. You are the only person that can live out that calling. And that's why God has given you this. And this is the full effect of God's redemption in our lives. He redeems us not just to forgive us from sin and and to give us the gift of salvation and to make sure that you get into heaven but because he has a calling, the purpose for which Christ has called you. Together we are pursuing the reason for which Christ pursued us. That's what we do. We pursue this reason. There's a reason why Jesus saved you. And this includes all those gifts of ministry and calling and the spiritual unctions, the the empowerment that we have through the Holy Spirit and through the gospel. So it equips us. The grace of God equips us. And finally, number three, it sustains us. I am so thankful to God for this point right here. Verse 8 says, 
who will sustain you to the end. Jesus sustains us guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be presented before God without spot and blemish. It won't be because we've lived perfect lives, but because we've been saved by a perfect Savior. And His perfect salvation and grace has not only saved us, but kept us saved, kept us uh, you know, we've been sanctified. Paul speaks about that uh, as he says that you are the church of God in Corinth, those sanctified, which is a process by which we become more like Jesus, by which we are changed, by which, by which we're transformed to be able to live according to the way that God has called us to live. So God is the one who sustains us. I don't know if you've ever felt like you were going to run out of steam. Like in all of my efforts and all of my working, all of my doing, so many times we hit a wall and we realize, I don't know if I can go any further. But what Paul says is that it is God's grace, it is Jesus himself, it is his presence in our lives that sustains us and keeps us going, keeps us close, declares that we are in God's hands, leads us in, into the plan that he has for our lives. There's so many times, even in planting church and leading church and trying to build church, that I think, I don't know where to turn anymore. You could try every strategy and every plan and every human idea, but at the end of the day, it's Jesus who is our lead pastor, and it's him that leads us into the plan that he has for us. And in all of this, we are sanctified and changed, and we will be produced and, and presented before Christ one day guiltless. How amazing that God's grace covers all of our sins, not only covers, but removes, cleanses us of all sin, and and produces a guiltlessness in us that means that we have a clear conscience with God. We have this relationship. We have fellowship with His Son. That's what it, it says there in, in that verse, if I go back there for a moment. It says, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We have this fellowship with Jesus that means we're always being changed and transformed and uh, we can live in a new way, in a world that is temporary, that is chaotic, that is broken. We've been graced by God for a purpose. And that purpose is to fulfill the call that God has given us until the day that Jesus returns. And it's our testimony that makes him known. It's our testimony that declares Look at what God's grace has done in my life. Not that I'm good. Not that I'm perfect. Not that I've done it all. Not that I've obtained it yet. But I am a trophy of His grace. And if God can do this in my life, He can do it in your life as well. And you will be able to walk away from the things that destroy you to live a life of value and meaning and purpose. And that is part of how we, that is the starting point, the, the, the launch pad for us to be on mission in a mad world and to be the church in the wild, in a wild city like Joburg. So I want to encourage you with that anchor church. We don't, we're not just a church so that we can feel good about the fact that we're going to go to heaven one day. We're a church because we know that God has called us to live out a purpose and, and a mission to reach people. This is God's heart. We see it there when he speaks to Paul in Acts 18.10. He says, I want you in this city because there are people here I want you to reach. And we know that we're in this city because there are people here that God wants us to reach. So we're going to do it together this year. And we want you to take successive steps 
in becoming empowered in doing that. Follow along with us, join the Leadership Collective, start serving with us, lead a community group, go on the Alpha course that we'll be presenting soon, do all those things. Show yourself a workman approved that is able to take up the call and do what God has called you to do. We're going to do it together. We're going to encourage you in that, and it's going to be amazing. Lives are going to be changed. Well, thank you for joining us for this first message in the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter to the 1 Corinthians. Um, and uh, we are so excited about what is coming up in this series and meeting with you again next Sunday. Encourage somebody today, share this video, share this message, pray for somebody, do something that is going to make a difference in somebody's life today. You can do it. Even if we're doing it digitally, we can make a difference. Join us tomorrow night. Uh, you can, right now, I will share the, the link to that meeting tomorrow night. If you want to join us, join us tomorrow night, 7 p.m. for the Leadership Collective Info Night. We'd love to have you. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you again next Sunday.